so far so good for the big fella. Mikel Gladness, look at this dunk. There's Gladness coming steaming in. Here's Gladness. Whoa! Gladness throws it down. Try having a block. What a swat by Gladness getting back on D. He never gives up on plays. We mentioned his energy and his aggressiveness. That's what he does. What he doesn't give you in scoring, he certainly gives you a defensive presence. Gladness making plays left and right. Mikel Gladness with a big night for Reno. What's up, world? Another episode of Not My House podcast. We have a very special guest today. He's a former Alabama A&M star who led the nation in blocks per game. He also holds the NCAA record for most blocks in a single game. He's a two-time first-teamer and two-time defensive player of the year in the Southwestern Athletic Conference. He had a successful career in the NBA, the G League, and overseas. It's an honor to have him on the show. Mr. Mikhail Gladness, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm glad you guys invited me. Glad to be on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, this is going to be a fun one for us, um, especially our Reno Bighorns fans. Uh, they're definitely going to remember you for sure. And, um, you know, what, what we like to do to start off is we just like to go all the way back and just kind of learn about our guest background. So if you don't mind, I mean, tell us what it's like growing up in Alabama and uh, tell us what your childhood is like before the basketball even got started. Um, I mean, well, Alabama, a lot of dirt courts in the, in the backyard, a lot of um, driveway, driveway hoops and stuff. Um, we moved around a lot because my dad worked a few different jobs, starting at the power company, like Alabama Power Company, um, and they moved them. They moved into different different cities from Jasper, Alabama, to um, Birmingham, like the center, the center point, Roebuck area, um, and just growing up with with uh, three other, with two other brothers and a sister. So it, it was always so competitive in my house, especially between me and my older brother. Um, I just remember times where, of course, he would beat me, and I I was so competitive that. Either I would cry or, or we go, we're gonna go again. Um, and just a lot of battle battles until until we got to a certain point where he couldn't beat me anymore and and that the rest is history. But um just moving around a lot and not really starting to find myself in basketball or like the skill set, even though my dad did play basketball in college um for University of North Alabama, but not really finding my skill set until probably it started to develop when you're doing my junior year in high school. So I was still doing um, JV and stuff up until like 10th grade. Um, you know, I don't have those, those great stories of what well, those, those very early age, like stories of, Oh yeah, I was a star at, at this age or I was ranked in at this age. No, I came from being a real skinny kid um, playing, playing varsity until, I mean, playing, then I played varsity until my junior year of high school, um, really sitting on the bench and kind of really watching a lot of people and, just grinding the way all, all the way up. Um, even until even in my first year in college, um, I really didn't really get that much playing time until um, like the probably the middle middle of the season, uh, yeah. towards the end to the end of the season, and it kind of took off. From, it kind of went from there. I won't say took off from there um, because I still had to learn the game. Even when I even when I transitioned and I, and I transferred to Division One, where I was at Alabama A and M. And I started those games, but I didn't play that much those games. But it's just a real humble beginnings and a lot of a lot of work put in, a lot of perseverance, and um, that's kind of what leads me to what led me to Reno and what led it, led me up around the world. Yeah, and I mean it probably develops that hunger too to want to be better. You know, when you're not 
the star from the very beginning. Um, that's kind of what we hear from some of our other guests who might not have been the star in middle school or high school. They kind of develop that hunger and will to want to win. And, you know, it's funny when you mentioned those, um, those, you know, driveway battles with your siblings, I definitely had a couple of those. So I know how intense those yeah. can get, but, uh, was basketball your first sport? Did you have any other loves? Like, did you play any other sports that you're that you were pretty good at when you're? Um, I would say it was my first sport because I mean, like I said, my dad played up until up until college, and I, I got to see him playing like men's league and stuff like that when I was in, um, when I was growing up, and also got to see him like you know pictures around the house and where his arm is like above the rim, and I'm like, wow, like, like that kind of stuff. So it was my first love, but I tried a lot of stuff. I tried baseball. I tried. Um, Tried tried football for a little while, and I actually liked football, but it was like I'm so small and to the point where I had to make a choice. Ninth, tenth grade, I wasn't getting a lot of passes in football because I played um, wide receiver and tight end. I wasn't getting a lot of passes with the system we were doing. I'm like, hmm, do I want to stick with this and jeopardize, like, the real first love or just kind of, like, focus in on one thing? And, like, ninth grade, I, I made that decision and just never looked back. Yeah, and most uh most of the basketball players they get hit the first time in football and they say enough enough of this I got to save my legs. So <laughs> yeah. def- definitely hear that quite a bit. Um, I'm curious who some of your idols were as a kid, you know, basketball wise, because I mean, being such a great shot blocker, um, I'm really curious if you kind of studied um, those types of players when you're younger. If there's somebody else that you looked at and wanted to be like, um, I did. I was, of course, Kobe was my was like the number one. Michael Jordan, I got to watch him um, as I was growing up. But I don't know. I think when Kobe came in, I don't, I don't know what separated, what what kind of made me go his way. Maybe because I can, I can more understand and and uh, really identify with some of the stuff that he did and some of the stuff that he just kind of growing up young and um, and he was in my era. Like Michael Jordan was a little bit ahead of, like he started a little bit ahead of me. I didn't see all of his story, but Kobe, you see like all the stories from Laura Marion and everything. So Kobe was one. Um, Kevin Garnett, just his attitude and his his passion that he brought in the court. I wasn't trash talker, but just I spoke without speaking, if you know what I mean. I let my game speak for myself. So seeing them with their tenacity and stuff, Rasheed Wallace, I like I like seeing him and being able to be mobile and, and that that turnaround jumper with the what I felt like was a super high release was was always I like seeing him play. Um, so those those are some of the some of the few. Um, but they kind of helped to shape me as as I grew older. I liked, you know, Birdman because of I just like I like the energy players. Like you can't put, um, you can't teach that kind of stuff. And now I see that that's not coming because I look at kids and I'm like, man, he has all the skills in the world, and it's like, well, but where's the motor? Like if he had the motor, they they will be top division one, or they'll be for sure pros. But um, seeing those guys as as growing up and then even now. Um, I, I like that. I like that motor, like the tenacity, like you, you're not going to stop me. I'm going to be pretty persistent and basically like a, like a net on on a, on a horse or something like that. I'm going, I'm going to continue to um, be in your face the whole game. And I kind of think I got that from just being a younger brother and yeah. playing with my older brother. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep stopping it. I'm going to keep playing until you either, either the game's over or we just, we can't go anymore. So that's kind of the people I, I kind of gravitated towards. I love it. And uh, we're about the same age. So we definitely come from that same era. Garnett, Kobe, those are my guys too that I always looked at. And, um, you know, I want to know because you just kind of touched on, you know, being a nat on defense and, you know, the intensity. But 
Um, how big was the blacktop game for your development? I always think it's interesting to hear that from our guests to see if they played a lot of blacktop or not. So uh, how big was it for you and in your development? Well, see, in Alabama, I wouldn't necessarily say we had the blacktop like that. It was more like home home gym. Well, not kind of like home gyms or rec. Um, I, I remember a couple a couple people in my neighborhood. You know, they had the, they had the hoop right there on the um in the driveway on top of the on top of the garage. They had I remember one they had built a whole because we have it's, land is at a it's pretty it's pretty um abundant while where, where I grew up at. Um, so I remember they had basically built the whole court um out in front of their um in front of the trailer so it was that was probably one of the nicest we had they had the little they had the outside um basically like um like garage lights on top of the goal so we can still see at night but yeah i I mean i don't know it had an effect on me yes for sure because it it built that toughness because you got to call your own fouls if you don't if if sometimes you you can argue to argue call for a while but I think it was more recreation ball and like going to um, direct centers, especially in, in certain neighborhoods. And I wasn't that good. So if you get your put your name on the list, if you lose, you're, you're done for the rest of the time. Or And if you, when, when you're playing, you got to have tough skin because even the people on the sideline are talking. So I heard a lot of if I was your height, I would do this. If I was the, if I was, you know, if I had this, I would do this like I would be. Dunking, I'll be in the league out some that kind of stuff. So that built tough skin, and it also gave me that motivation. Like, okay, you say you would do this, but this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So it it's, it gave motivation for for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely builds the the mindset, and definitely builds that toughness for sure. And you know, you mentioned the high school scene. You said that you know you're on JV the first couple of years, not on varsity till your junior year, and. Um, just kind of walk us through what the high school scene was like in Alabama. Like, did you play against any familiar names or anything like that? Or uh, tell us about, you know, those last couple of years of high school and just your journey. Um, well, growing up in, in Alabama, the scene is, I think Northern Alabama has the, has a better basketball scene. And even to this, to this day, um, your Huntsville, Madison, that kind of Madison County, that kind of stuff. But um, around my neighbor, around my area, it was more football. I did play a little bit against like Demari Carroll, um, Gerald Wallace was like I went to the same high school I, when I was in middle school. Well, yeah, when I was in eighth grade, Gerald Wallace was still at Childersburg High School, um, and I got to watch him kind of in his senior year of high school. So it was it shaped Jamario Moon. Um, he was he was one of the guys around my neighbor around my 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 like around the south where I, where I grew up at. Maybe what 20, 30 minutes till we played against them, um, but they were they were older than me. But I still got to see those guys play and kind of got to see those see the what they brought to the court, what they brought to the gym. Um, of course, at that age, they were like they were larger than life. Now they're some of my peers, and I can talk. To, I can talk to Mario. I can. I can. You know, I see him all the time. Um, like I said, Demari Carroll, he just had that that relentlessness that I I didn't know what it was at that time. It was just like he's good, but he's not really shooting a lot like he was dunking and he was running the floor and stuff but it's like man he just way better than me and why but as I as you grow up you you start to realize huh that's what he had because you, you see it everywhere he goes right yeah I mean and those names that you brought up those are some of my favorite guys too I love Jamario and Gerald like I can't even imagine what they were like watching in high school just with yeah. their size and athleticism that must have been a pretty a pretty fun ticket but uh 
you know, AU has changed a lot since you and I have played. And I'm just wondering if you did the AU or how did you really get seen? You know, when you said that you weren't really a star coming out of high school, like how did you get seen? Was it AU? Is it the big camps or what would you say um, got you discovered? It wasn't like I'd never played AU. Um, we had Alabama ice around that time. And I remember the big names, the Ronald Steels, the Jerry Wallace, of course, the, the Mario's, like all of them played, played, but it was maybe that wasn't, that wasn't feasible for me. Like it was out, maybe an hour away in Birmingham. Um, and I never, never got any context about that kind of stuff. And I, so I didn't know it existed to that extent until I got high, like to got 11, 11th, 12th grade. Um, so for me, it was my, my route was junior college really. I'm, I, I played well, um, well enough to kind of get some looks, but none of them kind of materialized into anything. It was, I got, you know, look from UAB. We, I got my team, well, me and my team got to the regionals um, in the state, the state champion, the state tournament, but they never materialized, materialized into anything. It was like, okay, well, he's good, but can he do this? He's good, but what about this weakness right here? And so it never, I never got those those offers that I thought I was getting. Like they, I would get little letters here and there, but it was more like informational pamphlets. It was never like where you coming out of school. Like it's never anything like that. Um, good thing I was good academically as well, um, so I had that chance. But my big break came when my high school coaches believed in me, and he was like, "All right, I'm, I'm gonna take you to this tryout." And it turned out to be um, at this junior college, Lawson State, like a real small D1. I mean, real small, small, small JUCO in Alabama. Um, maybe 45 minutes from my house. And that led to me going to me getting to uh, the junior college playoffs and then getting getting the eye, catching the eye of a coach uh, by the name of Sammy Jackson at Alabama AM. And that's kind of where it went from. Yeah. And I love hearing that. I also went the junior college route and, you know, I coach high school basketball and there's a lot of kids that have a negative view on going the junior yeah. college route. Everybody wants to go to the the division one right away or the four year right away, even if it's not the best situation. So what message would you give kids about junior college and how do you think junior college helped you prepare for that next level? First of all, you got to be ready for that. I think they see the glory in the, in, in the, all the accolades and stuff by going division one or going to big school, big school right away. But if you're ready for that grind, if you kind of embrace that grind, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm not coming here to just chill and just to play basketball. I'm coming to get out of here. I'm coming to better myself and better my situation by getting to that division one. Um, I really think that this, this kind of is a shameless um, shout out, but I really think that um, the last chance you think it really, I identify with that so well, it paints the picture. It gives you the gritty side. Um, but I, but it's so many more stories like that, that aren't told. And, but I, I, I really think that that does a really good job of just like you, you can see what what can happen what can happen here if you really come into it with the right attitude and that's that's what my message would be like going to it with the right attitude knowing that it's not it's not the end all be all it's just a step right yeah and I mean your shot blocking numbers were incredible I mean you led the nation with six point three a game your junior season you broke the NCAA record with sixteen blocks in a game against Texas Southern and. As a shot blocker, how did you develop or train yourself to, like, perfect that timing? Like, that can't just all be instinct. Like, that has to be some sort of timing strategy or maybe some secret drills that you did. Like, what can you share about really perfecting the art of shot blocking? I think that's – I mean, you, you said it 
it might can't be one. I, but I really thought that was, I, think, I really think that's an instinct. I, I trained it a little bit when I was with um, Miami and we worked on drills where we kind of do help side defense drills and, and actually going for the, going for the block. But before that, it was all just kind of playing and then you feeling out, all right, now I can try to predict when the play is going to go up. Sometimes it didn't work out so well. Like like at first, early in, early in my college career, it was a lot of foul trouble. And I just kind of had to learn to be patient at sometimes and knowing when to jump. So if I'm seeing somebody kind of the first couple of times, you might get me. But if I see you and you think you got a clear path to the to the basket, I got to you got to you got to go to the rim sometimes. So I, I, I got really good at meeting him there and my quick feet. I mean, because I wasn't the biggest guy, so that that really worked out to my advantage. My quick feet, and my long arms, and when I when I got used to meeting people at the rim, instead of trying to like block it as soon as they get out of their hands, a lot of times that will pay off for me. So just the experience, playing a lot, and uh, once I found out I was good at, it, it was like, okay, we can I can make this into something. So it it was just made then at that focusing on okay, I want to get this amount of blocks, and if I didn't get this block, I still knew that I affected your shot so much that you were thinking about me every time you came to the room. So that made it a lot, a lot better and a lot easier. Yeah. And that's another stat that doesn't show up in the stat box is the altered shot, making defenders change their shot. And uh, you definitely did a lot of that. And you answered my next question. I was going to ask you how you became a, di a disciplined defender, not jumping for everything. So I do appreciate the detail on that. And um, did you, do you have maybe a favorite memory from Alabama a and or a favorite game that really stands out? I mean, I think I might know the answer on the favorite game, but uh, I mean, <laughs> what would you say is your favorite memory from your college days? Yeah, I, th I think it's still, like, you can't beat that that record-setting night. Um, it's, st it's still the record to this day, so it's like, I didn't even know I had that many blocks. It was just, I was in that zone. But I think that's one of the first times I really got in that zone, and it was just, I was just, like, blocking shots. And towards the end of the game, when we knew the game was kind of in our hands, we had a student section right by um, – like opposite of the of the bench, and they were tell they were telling me, man, you got about fifteen blocks. So you know, then it then it kind of settled. But I didn't know I had a record at the time. But it it just wow, what fifteen? Because even people now like it's crazy that number to me. Because people get five blocks, six blocks. That's that's great. Eight blocks. That's great. But it's um when you when you hear that big number, it's like what is that? That's not even real. Yeah. But so that that would have to that would have to be the the top. Memory yeah. At, 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 at. It, it definitely raised my eyebrows. I forgot that you held that record, and I mean to surpass David Robinson too. I mean that what yeah. a, what a special name to pass. I mean that's some pretty good company, my friend. And uh, I gotta ask, what was the draft process like for you after that? I mean, with you making such a name for yourself defensively, like did you have a lot of workouts? Were you expecting to be drafted? Like, what can you tell us about that process? So after that junior season, I heard I heard some chatter, but my like my assistant coach, she was like, they say you need to you know do this, like bulk up a little bit or, you know, average up this amount on, on offense. Um, but I actually asked my my head coach, I I was considering putting my name in draft that year, um, but he was more so, I don't think you're ready. I kind of think back and I'm like, maybe he's looking out for himself. Um, but we, we, you don't, we don't know that. And I can't blame him for looking out for himself, but that is, that is his job. And his job is to win games in the, at the, at the, at his professive college. Um, but I went into the draft in 2004, and I had what? Had a draft with Cleveland. I mean, had a, had a workout with Cleveland, had a workout with the Pistons, um, had like a, a combination workout with New York and somebody else. They were at Memphis, I think. 
Um, but it wasn't a lot. Like it was the the Detroit workout was like on draft day, so it was like super last minute. Oh wow. Um, because I because after I think after that combination workout with Memphis and um, New York, it was in New York. I think the Pistons or somebody had they talked about me and I, that that next day or the next week I was flown I was flown out to the Pistons to Detroit. Um, but it wasn't like a, a I don't know if I I don't really expect a lot. Um, they were just saying you know you'll be drafted probably the projecting projection was late second round and I was like okay I'm I'm cool with that that, that gets me in the door. Um, but it didn't it didn't end up not happening. Um, I had a I would say a bad workout which which kind of shaped me. Um, at Detroit, because I don't feel like I was as ready as I was supposed to, and I, I me, it was just me and another guy going one on one. Some guy from, um, I want to say Turkey or something like that, um, but it was just me and him going one on one. I had to stop. Like it, it wasn't where I stopped. It was like they okay, like they see that I was out of shape, or I wasn't in the the best shape to be playing one on one the whole hour, basically. Right. Um, but that, like I said, that shape that that put. That shaped me as professionally. Like you gotta be like I can never have a moment like this again. I gotta always be ready, no matter like if like I said it was last minute. But if I was already ready, then I don't have that. I don't have that that um, that unsure. Like I don't know if I'm ready for this. And then when you get in there, it, it shows. So that shaped me, my work ethic and stuff even more. Even like I had it where you know, if when I'm on the court, nobody's out working me. But it, it made it even more um, a part of me after that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, how do you kind of find that next step? Like, did you have something in line right away? Like, did you know that you're going to go overseas? Did you know you wanted to go to the D League? Like, what was uh, what was kind of the thought process when your name wasn't called that night? So the, the I got I got back from the from the that Detroit workout on draft day, hoping to hear my name called. Didn't hear it called. Um, teams were calling as far as like D League and stuff, and they wanted me to go D League, but I. At that point, I, th- I thought about the money. Like we, at at A and M, we don't have the a lot of boosters and stuff coming to the games. We don't. I mean, like you know, supporting us like that where we had, and we didn't have big stipends for um, just for, just stuff that I heard other big schools having. Even our like our lunch card and stuff. You eat you eat three times a day, and that's pretty much all. It wasn't like an unlimited thing, or like you have the extra meals and stuff. So I thought about the money first. Um, Cause I had D League and I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to go there. I heard how much they how much they make, and especially at that time. Right. Um, so I had a team call from France, and they were like, "We don't know how much you're gonna play," but um, it was a, it was a really good. Of course, France is a really good league, and I had Holland, which these are just two I remember. I, I'm pretty sure I had some more. Um, but we 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 you'll play a lot. You probably start. Um, and so I chose to go to because they one of the things they were t- they were saying that I didn't get drafted for because I need more experience. Um, so I'm like, okay, if I get to play more in Holland, and I I can get back over. If I go to France and I don't play that much and I'm still in the same position, maybe more money, but I'm still in the same position. Now I look back and I'm like, hmm, I wonder which. I mean, you always you, you have that hindsight, but it's like France was France. So if I get to play a lot or a little. It might have made a bigger splash than than Holland did the Netherlands, um, but I mean it, it still worked out good. Um, almost ended up getting almost getting cut in Holland my first year. They oh. um, they brought me they brought me and they were like, um, yeah, you kind of not living up to like expectations. My agent um, got them to just put all my my bonuses into incentives, 
which I end up, I end up reaching all those anyway, but they cut those out of my contract. So they weren't guaranteed like they were before. And they put them in the centers and it pushed me even more like this is a business. You got to do your job or I mean, you're out the door. So that it's all these are learning lessons. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a cutthroat business for sure from everybody that we talked to. And I mean, you're right. Your decisions definitely worked out and um, you spent some time in Dakota. And it's just funny because some of the guys we talked to, they say once you go to Dakota, you know, you're definitely going to make it to the league because you don't want to go back <laughs> to Dakota. So, uh, yeah. but I mean, after that, I mean, you played with the Warriors, uh, the, the Heat. I mean, you played with the rookie Clay Thompson, Young Steph, and that amazing Heat team with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. I gotta ask, uh, what was it like to finally get that call up? You remember that moment? Yeah, I was. I had actually gone back to Dakota after that first, after my first <laughs> year there. Actually, gone back and we were in training camp. Um, because I had talked to you know coaches at Dakota, at Dakota, and um, Nate Bjorkren, who's now in the NBA. Um, and he, you know, he he was telling me because he talked to these guys in the NBA. He was like, man, they they really like you in, in Miami, um, but we would like you to have you back here. And then if, if something happens, then then it happens. But we were going through a training camp practice and he caught he takes me off the court. Like then we warming up. He takes me off the court and he's like, they really that like like I told you before, they really like you in Miami. Um they just called and they said they want you to come um to training camp again. Cause that's else mine. I did I did training camp with them one year, the first year that LeBron was there, and I didn't make because they already had pretty much everyone. I think it was maybe maybe one spot open that was for a guard because they already had all the big man picks. Um but he told me he was like they really like you and they want you to come back to training camp this year. And I was I don't even remember the rest of that practice. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I think I think all I remember is warming up and just, you know, doing high knees and, and stuff like that down the court. And he, when he called me, I I don't remember anything else in that practice. But that was that was the right before I wanna say December, I wanna say like eleventh or something like that. Something crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be a surreal moment, too, to be out of practice. You know, it's your, really your first NBA experience, and you're in a gym with LeBron, Wade, Bosh. And, I mean, that team was a huge deal at the time. I mean, they were – I think they called them the Heatles. I mean, there's a lot of hype yep. around that team. So, I can't even imagine what an everyday practice is like. But what was it like traveling with those guys? Because I remember you guys were like rock stars, but, like, what can you tell us just about what an everyday experience is like traveling with those guys, practicing with those guys, and especially as a shot blocker in practice, you got to be alert at all times or else you might be on the wrong side of a poster. So yeah. what, what can you talk yeah. about that? Man, I mean, I learned a lot just by, I mean, Chris, Chris Bosch, his, his um, demeanor and like how he prepared for games and just, I've never seen anybody really read before a game or watch, watch Game of Thrones or at that time, Boardwalk Empire, like, that kind of stuff i'm like why are you doing it like you always see people with headphones on their head and they're listening to the music blasting loud so they can't hear anything else and just but those guys the preparation especially him the preparation that he put in and the hit the mindset he got it in I, I i took i took something from that um because i was my locker was right beside his so seeing him do those things and just you know really taking care of his body and actually focusing on his mind because i really ne have never had anybody do that because I think a lot of the guys I was around were younger guys and the older guys that I was around, they didn't, they didn't have that type of approach to the game. Um, LeBron just practice. I got to practice with him, of course, and just him knowing where people are going to be and where I should be and, and stuff kind of just like unveiling the way he, the way he predicted it. It was, it was next to none. 
Um, and I hear people talking about it all the time. I watched an interview with Iman Shumpert, and um, he was talking about that same thing. And I'm like, that's exactly how I remember it. Like, this is this is who he is, and it's probably been who he is from for a long time. Um, and then just seeing the way he like practices all his finishes and stuff, and be able to um, take a hit and and still finish finish over anything or a lot of stuff like angles that he practiced. Um, just layups, just kissing off the glass, and just 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 basically experiment with how the ball would bounce or how he would spin it, that kind of stuff. It was it was crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure. When I mean, when you get to see somebody of that caliber in practice every day, it's definitely jaw dropping. And um, you know, you mentioned how you learned so much from that team. Was there one specific bet that really took you under their wing and kind of taught you how to be a true professional during that time? Um. CB did, Chris Bosch did a little bit. Well, he did some, um, but I think Jawan Howard was probably the ultimate um, because I, like, I would always ask him, like, how would, how do you, how did you last this long? So I think at that time it was year 15, 16, maybe, maybe more. Um, but, uh, but he told me, he, he talked to me a lot about icing because I never really iced unless I had an injury. And he always, he would give me the, um, the analogy of, when you put stuff, when you after you after you eat something, you have leftovers. Don't you ice that, or do you just leave it out? Like if you want something to be fresh, you gotta ice it. No matter no matter if you if you hurt or not, you don't you don't wait till you hurt to, to ice something. And just that that preparation, like I said, and that just was preserving his body type of thing. That that helped me a lot to from my look at the game. I, I probably should ask some more questions, but that was one that really stuck out to me um, from Juwan. Yeah, that one sticks out to me too. Actually, that's some deep words of wisdom right there. That, that's awesome stuff. Um, did you have a welcome to the league moment? And what I mean, like, is there like that first guy that you had to match up against where you're like, wow, the NBA is different? Like, did you have that moment? Yeah. Um, I had a few of those moments actually. Um, playing against Dwight Howard was, and he was still in Orlando. I think he that was the better um, White Howard years. Yeah. Um, but just you see it on TV and you see like you know how high he jumps and just how big he is to still be able to move and do stuff like that. But um, we played him in preseason, and um, I had to guard him a little bit. I think he took it a little easy because you know it's, it's still preseason, but just feeling that that force and stuff that he that he um delves out and, and deals out with just off a post move or anything like that and get dunked on thankfully but um that was one of them and then when I was with Golden State just um because I got more playing time at Golden State playing against the up against the Andrew Bynums and the um DeMarcus Cousins like those guys were oh even Tim Duncan like I'm here I'm playing against Tim Duncan um but those things really really stood out as those moments like this is what it is like you can do this, but this is this is the this is the level where you're at right now. Yeah, and I'm glad I'm glad you name dropped Andrew Bynum because I think that's a name that gets forgotten a lot for whatever reason. That's definitely a forgotten name for sure. He he could he was a problem down there. Yeah. And, um, did you have any rookie duties on, on that Heat or Warriors team? Like, did, did you have to go oh, yeah. get the paper for anybody? What, what was your duty and whose rookie were we you? We were in we were in in um in Charlotte and. D Wade and Juwan asked me to go get. I remember Juwan asked for a chai, a chai tea or something like that. That I had to go to Starbucks, like walk a few blocks to Starbucks to get. 
And um, D-Way asked for something, too. But even after the games, like, they would just give me their bags. Like, um, LeBron would give me his bag and D-Way would give me a bag. And basically because I sat right right in front of D-Way on the plane. So I would have to carry his bag to the to the plane all the time. Like, he would, he would be doing interviews or something like that, and he would just sit his bag like, here you go, young fella. And I would have to just carry, carry, carry the bag. Like, it wasn't anything, like, really bad. Because, like, get, go and get Starbucks for, some, for someone, knowing that, that you're getting what up. Um, at the most, a ten dollar coffee, right? Five dollar coffee, and they give you a fifty dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill. Like, <laughs> I had no problem with that. Yeah, and I think being like as as I was young and I was always grinding and stuff, like that was nothing. Like that, yeah. that was nothing. Like that was that was like you you overpaying me to do something that I was I was already gonna do anyway. Like I don't have no problem going to Starbucks. So I'll, I'll give me a little something in, in there in there too. So, and I'm going to the, I'm going on the plane. Your bag's not heavy. I'm carrying Louis Vuitton bags and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, we always uh, hear that the vets always take care of the young guys, too. I think it was uh, Marcus Banks was telling me that Antoine Walker bought him, like, just crazy amount of clothes in a store one time yeah. just to treat him. And uh, so the vets definitely take care of the young guys from what we hear. And yeah. at least he didn't get popcorn in the car because I think CJ Watson told us about the popcorn in the car. So at least oh yeah, the... I've seen that a couple of times. In Clay's <laughs> car, he got he got popcorn in there that that year. It was yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't me. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, did you get a ring playing in, in Miami? Because I don't think you finished the I season didn't. with them. But that's that's one thing that I'm yeah, well, I've gotten over it to an extent. But that's still one little one one sore spot because any other team, um, even with I heard a story of Bruce Bowen getting traded to someone else, and he got a ring from the Spurs. But it's at the it's at the team's discretion. So Pat Riley would have to make that call. Um, I think they get a certain amount of rings, and they even you know the front office people get get rings and stuff. So nope, I didn't get one that year. Even though I I he's he said that you like I think it's Pat Riley's rule that you had to play in the playoffs or like be on the team during the playoffs. And I think I was two weeks before the playoffs I got released in something like that. That's a bummer. I thought that was an unwritten rule where if you serve any any time at all, you get that ring. And you know, yeah. to me, if if you're putting time in at all during the season, you're a part of it. So you, yeah. you definitely got my kudos to you for that. But uh, um, you spent some time in Reno, like we talked about earlier. Um, I'm from Reno, obviously, and I love asking guests about their time here and what their thoughts are on the city and how they like their time here. So, what do you like or dislike about Reno, and what were some of your favorite spots, maybe? Um, what I disliked about Reno was the 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 weather. Like it was crazy. <laughs> one day it was like nice and warm, then the next day it's snowing. Like, um, I like that, and I disliked that because of the warm weather it'll catch you by surprise some days, and you'd be like, "Oh, I I can take my jacket off today." Um, but I mean that I Reno was it was nice and the the feeling of it wasn't like the smallest town I've been to because, like I said, I grew up in a small town, but that that feels that I got when I went there, that it, that kind of um, welcoming um, family town that I, when I got there, it was really nice. Um, coaches and, and teams it, at that time, I think it was right when Sacramento was, was more hands-on. Um, so we had a lot of, we had good trainers and stuff, but I, I like I liked it, just the organization here in, in general. Uh, we had a trainer, uh, Mike Atkinson, um, which is, I think he's now with Westchester, and he had he does his own thing in New York also. But he was probably one of the best trainers I had. I've had strength conditioning people I've had on my team, like around me, because everyone else, um, at that, even at that time, where 
a lot of put on weight kind of type of people not really functional might yeah. introduce me to the function uh, like a lot of the functional side um he increased my knowledge from because I, I worked with a guy in miami that also was like very functional by the name of ed downs um and might kind of continue what he had already started with him, with me um it wasn't a lot of let's just see how much you squat or how much you can bench press or like kind of stuff like that he had the kaiser machines which are the um the air the pressure pressurized air type of stuff with the first, my first time on the Versa Climber, which was a beast, especially in Reno, but it had me in some of the best shape of my life. Um, so I think that the coaches, um, Ty was was a really good coach, and um, and Joe Abelson, like those those sort of kind of memories I had, like as far as far as like who I was around, because um, you know we we were around them most of the, all the time, like for, it's from film sessions to practice to we even lived in in apartments um, like three of us in the apartments, that kind of stuff, two or three of us in the apartments. So we were on the, around the team all the time. So those, those memories really stuck with me. Mo Charlo's, uh, just those kind of vets and being around those people that, that really stuck out. And I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. We had Mo Charlo on the show. He, he's an awesome personality, man. He was a lot of fun. I, I love me some Mo and, uh, you know, also Mike Atkinson, that's somebody that I grew up watching. He played high school basketball around here in Reno. So I love that you dropped a Mike Atkinson, just seeing some of the, his training videos too. I mean, I can tell yeah. that he's got a great passion for what he does. I'm just so, so excited for him for what he's doing, you know, in yeah. the training world, he, he's definitely making a huge difference. And so I, I love that you dropped that name, but um, you spent a lot of time overseas. I got to ask what kind of culture shock that was for you and maybe what your biggest adjustment was both on and off the court. Um, Off the court, mainly foods. Um, but that was good and a bad thing because I was as a kid, I, I'm, I had fun like mimicking other people's voices and different kind of stuff like that. So like adjusting to um, the, the cultures and stuff was probably the, the harder thing. Like I go to Spain and you hear about siesta and the, you know, the, you know, the word siesta people use it over here, but it's not the same. Like you go over there and they're literally off um, for lunch. You go to a restaurant for lunch and you're not going to get served. The, the doors will not be open. I we, I right. trust me. I we went to a couple restaurants. I'm like, okay, the kids are, you know, kids are at school or whatever. Let's let's go a daycare. Let's let's go um do a little lunch date or whatever. No, that did not happen because we just we end up walking around empty streets because people actually take siesta. They go home, they take an hour, like they take an hour to eat and take a nap, whatever they're gonna do, and they come back to work. Or they go, like think the kids at school do the same thing. So that was one of the things I really had kind of had to get adjusted to. But but other than that, I like. I enjoyed a similar type kind of trying to assimilate to other cultures, showing people and my teammates that I cared to actually try to learn some of this stuff and actually try to um, relate with them, even though I was from a totally different country. So that, that, that really helped. And it really, that's like kind of some of the stuff I missed to this day. Like the traveling was, was great. Like you could see stuff that you probably would never, I'm, I'm from Alabama. We, we don't see a lot of, um, a lot of different cultures. We see, we speak, see Hispanic. We see, we see um, black. We see white. I, but I saw all that kind of stuff. I see you see that in more in other countries, and that really opened my eyes. So I, I think that's that's a that was a great thing. Yeah, that, that's that's a special thing. Everybody we talk to, they say it's like a free vacation. You know, you get to yes. see the world. You get to see all these different cultures, like you said. Like that's that's got to be a really awesome experience, and and to get paid to do what you love. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying somebody else is pays for it. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but uh, we also hear a lot of nightmare stories about playing overseas. Um, I mean, we've heard about people not getting paid or, you know, bad surgeries gone wrong. Um, but also just the craziness of playing overseas. Like we hear that the um, that the fans can be crazy throwing coins or smoking in the arenas. And I got to ask you, what's the most what's the wildest experience that you had overseas? Like what's the craziest thing, thing that you experienced? I did have a it wasn't I wouldn't say a surgery. Um, it was a small surgery. So I went to, I went to China. Um, I think it's my second, my same, my second or third time in China. Um, I got a chance to play with the, um, Australian, I want to say national team, one of the teams, like they had just kind of toured around China and played three games, three or four games. And, um, I went up for a block and it's, it's obvious to me, but this guy went straight with his elbow just so I would, I wouldn't block his shot. And so he splits my lip right here in the middle. Um, I had to go and get stitches, which was crazy in itself because they I mean, they rushing me out of the out of the gym to on, into a car and into the to the hospital. And there's people like lined up. I go, they they get me to the back, um, and I and they give me started giving me stitches. And no one says anything, but what I learned later is because my tooth and stuff had gone through my lip. Oh wow! So it was open. Um, so they had to give me three stitches, what is it, three or four stitches, but they stitched the outside and the inside of my lip, which Ooh. I learned later that you're not supposed to stitch the inside because it's already like kind of self-healing and it's so wet and moist in there. Anyway, um, I end up getting an infection in my lip. Oh, wow. And I come back home and, you know, as the infection goes, I'm, I, I can smell it. I'm like, what is that smell? Like, is it, I mean, am I okay? Like at first they're like, yeah, you're fine. But then after a little while, like, because the, the the infection is kind of draining down my throat, I ended up getting strep throat. So I had to get antibiotics and stuff just for, just because they stitched in my lip and they weren't supposed to. Oh, wow. So that, that's probably the craziest as far as that is concerned. I mean, I've, I've had one or two situations where I haven't got paid my money or they took a long time and they tried to declare bankruptcy in Spain. Um, but I still get got, got most of it. Um, but most of the time, my my situation with being being paid and stuff like that, I didn't deal with that thankfully because I I heard of, I heard some horror stories also. That's good. So no batteries thrown at you, no bombs going off in the stands, nothing nothing no. like that. Okay, good. Yeah, because we've heard a, a lot of that too, and that just always blows my mind. It's just a uh, a lot. It's it's amazing how different and how how passionate those fans can be in some of these other countries, yeah. for sure. But uh, when you, when you're playing overseas. Who would you say was that guy? Like, who was maybe the Michael Jordan or the LeBron James overseas when you're playing? Like, who was the guy that everybody was talking about? Yeah. So at first, I don't like. I think I was so like everything was compartmentalized. Like I was when I was in Holland. Like I didn't really hear about anybody else outside of Holland that much because I wasn't really paying attention. Um, because I was also thinking about getting back to the states. Um, when I was in Spain, of course, we had a guy that I played with play with called his name was Alex Mumbrou um in Spain he was he had played for a few different clubs Real Madrid um I think Barcelona and he had came back come back to um Bilbao where I was at and so he was like the god over there um but also that was the year I played I played against Luca and um what's the other guy that played for the Nuggets Composo so so they that was that was some pretty good pretty good competition over there but at that time yeah Luca they those guys were the guy Ricky Rubio they talked about him but he wasn't over there at that time but yeah yeah I mean how old was Luca back then and I mean what was your first impression of Luca when you played him um let me see that was that was the year before he got drafted um 
Would you have ever expected he'd be what he is today, or you know what was that first thing? I he was he was real smooth. I don't, I didn't know if it, I didn't know how well it would translate. I mean, Spain. I always tell people is probably the closest thing to the NBA as far as like speed, athleticism, and skill because you have big guy like true bigs over there. You have um, their their the structure of the game is not just running gun like you got you got a little bit of both. Um, but he was real. He was real smooth. Like kept his composure. Nobody really rushed him. So it was it was similar to what he's doing now. But as far as like the step back threes and stuff, he wasn't doing that. Yeah. He, not not as much. Um, and he was more of a, I think that the European game overall is more of a team game. So you can see spurts of it, but just because of the structure of the team and you know he was what, like probably one of the younger younger players, he was still trying to um, doing more. Um, orchestrating the offense and kind of getting more people involved. But no, I, I can see, I can see he had, he was something, he was special. Yeah. And uh, you're not the first person that said that we've had a couple guys that got to play against Luca when he was really young. And it's always interesting to hear everyone's, you know, initial, initial thoughts on him. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. And are you still hooping today or what's next for you? Like what, do you have any big projects or goals that you have in the um, near future or what's next for you? I, what came about after like searching and, and kind of looking within myself and looking at things that I've never, like I haven't looked at in a long time because basketball was my life and that's kind of what I focused on. Um, this past, well, in 2020, 2021, I actually started doing software development. So um, I'm a software engineer now, but um, now for a while it was like a, a sore spot about basketball. Like it was like, okay, like a breakup to me, like kind of, and some the way I don't know about how other people react to breakups, but me personally, like if I really like that thing and if I was as passionate about that thing as you know basketball, I can't be around it because it does this every little thing that reminds me of I'm not playing, I'm not traveling like I used to, like that's kind of this might sound selfish, but that spotlight is not on me anymore. It hurt, um, but now I'm I've gotten to a, a lot better place. I'm playing in the men's league that I just kind of think this is my first time really like playing like that. But well, besides victory. Um, so I'm playing in the men's league and it, I have that, that kind of itch to kind of play a little bit. Um, so I'll kind of do those things like that. But I'm also to this point, it has now I have, I mean, I have, I have two sons and they're interested in basketball and they're, they, he's getting my, my oldest son is eight. Um, so he he really wants to put in the work. So now it's like, okay, I have a have a avenue or a way to show um to kind of give that knowledge. I was always I always had that that idea to kind of I wanna I don't want to be a don't know if I want to be a coach. Um, but I know I have so much knowledge that I can give to whoever is willing to listen. And so my son gave me the avenue. Well, my sons have given me the avenue and it's allowed me also to spend time with them. But I think eventually I wanna do I wanna do clinics, I wanna do camps. Um I've talked to a, to a few people, and even though I didn't do that while I was playing, um, I, I now have that that idea of like, oh, okay, I want to do like big man, like a pure big man camp. Like I was involved in one my senior year in college, but I feel like I can kind of add to that and and make it and make it even better. And you don't really, you still like to this day. That's probably one of the few the few big like true big man camps I've seen. So that's the that's the thing that's lacking. You always have camps and they're always talking to the guard and you know kind of stuff like that. But even though big men are kind of stepping out now, it's still you still have some of those fundamentals that, that they're not getting or they're not being able to 
um, really hone and work on just just big to big or you know what I mean so I feel like that'll be a good thing to kind of bring in so that a camp camps are are in near in, in the near future so along with the software development so I feel like if I can balance both of those out then that'll, that'll be I'll be happy with it that's awesome yeah I can definitely sense a lot of coaching you so I, I definitely can see some coaching in in your future I think that you have a, a lot of great knowledge to give and I love that you're talking about adding the big man camps you know uh you know getting that back into the in the basketball because I think we're so guard oriented now and you know I actually have coach Pete Newell's grandson on my coaching staff at high school so he'll love hearing about you running big man <laughs> clinics that'll make him very happy for sure um before I let you go I want to do a quick lightning round if you don't mind just like a one quick one word or quick sentence answer um just about five or six quick questions if you're ready for it all right all right, my first question to you is, who's your toughest cover? Who's the one guy you couldn't figure out how to guard? Tim Duncan. Okay. Um, is there a block that you're most proud of that comes to mind? Blake Griffin. When he played for the Clippers. Okay. Who's that one guy that puts you on a poster that you really don't like to talk about very much? Hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think kind of, I might have blocked it out of my mind. You might have to look in the archives for that one. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have one that to that that bad. Yeah, that's why I oh, had yeah. to ask. Summer, summer league, Jeremy Tyler. Jeremy was, Tyler, who also my who was also my teammate at one time. But yeah, summer league, Jeremy Tyler. That's awesome. That's definitely a name we we're trying to get. I loved hearing that one. Um, do you have? Did you ever have a nickname? Um, in Australia, I was called the Blockadile. The Blockadile. I like yeah. it. Awesome. Um, did you have any weird superstitions that come to mind or maybe a teammate that, that had any weird superstitions? No, not as not like, I, I know I didn't have any weird, I was, I was always trying to figure out something to do, but no, not for me. Okay. Uh, favorite country you lived in and why? Um, Australia. Closer awesome. to our, our tradition, the, like our culture and stuff were very similar. Um, but the weather was amazing. Like you can't beat the weather and the beaches and everything else around us. So yeah, Australia. Yeah, a little nicer than Reno weather, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my final one. I ask everybody this, but uh, what's your favorite basketball memory? If you had to pick just one. Um. Yeah, I, I, it still goes. Well, it goes to to my um, when I first got that call that I had. Well, first I was first told that I made the team. With Miami on Christmas Day, or like right before Christmas Day, twenty fourth or twenty fifth, um, I can't forget that. Yeah, that's the ultimate Christmas gift, right there for sure. But uh, hey, uh, this was an honor, man. I had a lot of fun. Um, is awesome to just kind of learn about your journey. You have such a inspiring one too. I think a lot of kids think that everyone's a star right when they're a kid from the very beginning, and you know that wasn't the case for you. You had to really work and grind for everything that you got. So I think that's a great message to the kids and. You know, I just have a lot of respect for you. But uh, before we, before I let you go, is there anything that you want to add or promote? Um, I'm just, just kind of looking at, looking at my, my journey. It's not always going to be easy. Um, not everything's going to be handed to you. But hey, when you work for it, it's, it's that much sweeter. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, th this is an honor again. And uh, you know, I know that whoever listens to this, you know, especially the younger listeners, you know, they're going to get a lot out of this. And um, hopefully put a little fire in them. I think these kids need a little more fire and a little more grind these days. So, yeah. but, uh, 
Mikhail, thanks again so much. Um, if you need anything, I'm always here. Let me know and uh, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me again. Of course. Another great episode. Uh, big thanks to Mr. Gladness again for taking the time to share his story. And what an inspiring story it is, right? I mean, just somebody that wasn't the star in high school, not the star in college, goes undrafted and just grinds and claws his way to have such a great career in the NBA overseas and in the G League. That's uh, really inspiring stuff. And I just can't wait to see what he's going to do with his coaching and his clinics. I know that he's got a lot of great knowledge to give down to the younger Hoopers coming up. And, um, you know, I just have a lot of respect for him for wanting to give back like that. That says a lot about him. And I love they dropped to Mike Atkinson. Like we said, uh, Mike is definitely somebody that grew up in the Reno area. He's done a lot of great things in the training world. And Mike, if you're listening to this, man, we'd love to have you on. I know we reached out a couple of years ago, but we'd love to have you on. But a uh, big shout out to our listeners. Thank you all for all of your support. Uh, just the reviews and the five stars have really made a huge difference for us to get amazing guests like Mr. Gladness. So if it's not too much time, you know, please just give us a five star, leave us a quick comment or review. It takes less than a minute and it's free and it really does help us out. So we do appreciate it. But again, big thanks to Mr. Gladness. Thanks to our listeners. I'm out of here. I'm going to go enjoy the rest of my week, but just want to say thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. And big shout out to Eric. I know he's been wanting to be here. He's been busy with life. He'll be back here shortly. Um, but he is missing out on some of these great interviews. And I know he's bummed about that. So uh, we'll, we'll get him back in no time. But I'm out. Have a good rest of your week. Thanks for listening. Much love. Peace.